everybody, welcome to the Reverend Hunter podcast. This is Tony Jones, the Reverend Hunter. I'm alongside my partner in crime. That's a new one, yeah. Brandon. Producer, engineer. Hey, we would love for you to uh, rate the podcast, to share this podcast with all your friends who might be interested in it. Uh, that really helps us out. If you have guests that you think we should have on here on the Reverend Hunter drop us a line on social media. You can also find me at reverendhunter.com and there's a contact page there. You can fill stuff out and say, hey, you should have this person on. If you, have got, if you want to come on, if you think you'd be the perfect conversation partner, uh, let's talk. We're trying to put together interesting conversations for people who find some kind of uh, spiritual solace in the outdoors. And our guest today, he uses that exact word. Solace in the interview. Lan Tawney is the president and CEO of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And he's a, he's a, what a honest guy. Very honest. Very, very good, candid conversation. With yeah. Him. He was super vulnerable. He talked, uh, we talked about his father's death, my father's death, um, religion, spirituality, church, and the outdoors. And really, I think he's, as I tell him in the interview, I think he's the guy's kind of a preacher. He's got a congregation of a bunch of uh, hipster, bearded uh, millennials who like to hunt and fish. You'd fit right in. I'm I'm curious now. Now I definitely have to look I know we're, we're on this path to get you hunting. I love the I love the outdoors. Yeah. I, I love hiking. I love camping. So yeah, I'm I'm on board with okay, this. Okay, BHA Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is like that. I think that might be your entree okay. into it. All right. He says the average age is forty five, right? Uh, forty. Forty five and I younger. Forty five and younger. And is, you're is you're the younger than forty five. Yeah. You got a beard. Yeah. So you'd fit in. You're wearing. I wear flannel. Flannel. So that, like that plaid works. flannel. Yeah. All right. All right. I think this might be... This is my gateway <laughs> into it. I'm seeing... Uh, we're here at Pheasant Fest in the Minneapolis Convention Center, and we um, have just uh, finished our conversation with Land Tawny, and he's just a wonderful fellow. So I think you all are really going to like it. You can find him at... Um, just really the easiest way is just... Go- First of all, he's the only guy named... Land Tawny. I was going to say, how perfect is it that he's a conservationist right. and his name is Land? It's like a birthright. He was yeah. destined to be. Yeah, this. he has this joke he does at public events like, seven years ago when I took this job, I changed my name to Land. <laughs> and then he says, some people are like, really? Wow, that's commitment. But of course, no, he, his parents are conservationists. And so they named him Land. Um, just Google Land Tawny, you'll find him. Google backcountry hunters and anglers, you'll find them. Tons of social media. You can find them on all the different social media channels, and we'll post some of them in the show notes. Um, but but I am a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and I recommend anybody who's listening who cares about public lands and conservation to join that organization. So, so that's about it for our intro. Thanks, Brandon. Great job engineering, as always. Great job hosting, as always. Why, thank you. Uh, All right, off to our conversation with Lan Tawney of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Hey, Lan, thanks for coming on the Reverend Hunter podcast. Oh, man, my pleasure. It's good to see you again. Pheasant Fest. We're yeah. here at Pheasant Fest. Um, Rooster! We're, we're, it's a festival of pheasants. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I'm. Uh, that's 
Do you like pheasant hunting? Is that a thing for I you? Do. You're a I, duck guy. I'm a duck guy, but I'm a bird dog guy, you know? And so... Okay, fist bump for labs. Bam, because, dude. dude... Okay, I'm a lab guy. Yeah. I got two yeah. yellows. You got two blacks? I have one black. One black now. One black You've now. had two blacks. Yeah. These guys, I, I think they're too smart by half when they're like, oh, I got a, some name of a dog you can't pronounce. Well, and then like, they give it the dog another name, like the breed you can't pronounce. Right. And then they give the dog a name you can't pronounce. Yeah, I'm a, I mean, everybody's each to their own, right? I mean, I know, they just had the dog you're, parade, you're which was pretty yeah. cool. No, yeah. I'm not being political, because I, mean, I think there's some pretty cool dogs on yeah. there. Yeah. But man, I'm a lab guy, and uh, I was thinking about a wire hair griffon. And uh, even I was talking to a breeder, uh-huh. and then um, his the, his female didn't go, like she didn't take, and so I was like it was like almost a blessing in disguise. I went right back to labs, and my dog right now she's three years old, oh, and perfect. man she's just I don't know she's so easy to be around, and she's yeah. so great in the field. And, Upland and waterfall. Oh, absolutely. The only yeah. she's got a problem. She's uh, she's got a hard mouth. Oh, so uh, you can break that. But <laughs> well, I've talked to I've talked we're thinking about fixing that this year some people have told me that like they would leave when she was three did not oh, leave okay um i guess she's two so and you're I, giving her some time i was giving her some time and then yeah. like you know i got tired of uh, her ruining birds and then I mean, i'm still eating all those birds you know but like sure. i can't do some of the cooking recipes that i want to just because she's putting holes in those breasts oh interesting um but she's great everywhere else you know besides that piece and you know i've never had a dog like that and so i'm gonna i'm talking to some trainers and they got to uh-huh. do some yeah. force fetch with her which i'm not super stoked about but yeah I've, what it is. I've had to do that with dogs you done it yourself with labs yeah i have and, and how does that change relationship with you and the dog pinch. i mean i think that if you can if you've got the time to do the force fetch I think it takes about two weeks, mm-hmm. and I don't think it hurts your relationship with the dog. Okay. And I, th- I, in my, I mean, I'm, your no, experience. I, I'm no yeah, professional yeah. trainer, sure. but just in my own amateur experience, uh, your bond will even be strong. The dog will have a better mouth and retrieve to hand better if you're the one training. Right, right, right. Dog. But, but anyway, that's my, that's a little rabbit story. hole right away. Yeah. About that. Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, hey, how, uh, tell me, you grew up in Montana. Yeah. And what was it like? What was your upbringing like? And what was your and how and and what was your spiritual or religious upbringing as part of that growing sure. up in Montana? So, um, family, you know, grew up in Montana, fifth generation Montana, and you know, the outdoors really played a huge part in our lives. And it wasn't like, hey, we're going to go do this in the outdoors. We're going to go do that. It was just like, that's what we did. Mm-hmm. You know, it, mm-hmm. it wasn't like some big production. It's just, that's we, through the rhythms of the season, you know, whether yeah. that yeah. was in the summer fishing or in the fall hunting or um, even did a little bit of ice fishing, not much uh, in the winter. But those rhythms, like they were just natural. And so I, you know, great experiences with both my mom and my dad. Um, we had a local congregational church that I went to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember as a kid, there was two things I remember. One is that we were always late, and so then I had to <laughs> sit up front, and so then we'd have to be oh, paraded, you know, in front yeah, of right. all these people. The and as a kid, shame. you don't want anybody to look at you anyways, <laughs> right. and all of a sudden, like, you have to sit up front. So I'm very on time in my life, okay, right? Like, good. you know, if yeah. not on time early. Yep. Uh, because that, but I also, I think I take that, and then I think the sense of community, you know, we'd, you'd, you might go every Sunday, you might not. But when you came to the church, it was, you know, you saw very familiar faces and they treated you, you know, as you were part of their family. And mm-hmm. I think that to me, um, along with um, Peter Schober, who was the pastor, who was just masterful at, at, at kind of, 
you know, I think talking about things in terms as a kid that I could understand, also as I you know got into high school that that identified with me, versus just giving me scripture. Um, I think yeah. he was really good, and you know, he ended up, um, you know, being a big part of our lives. I mean, he was. My, he's done both my sister's wedding. He's did my wedding. Um, he did my dad's funeral. He's done my grandfather's. Fun- I mean, he's done. He's kind of been a big part of our family. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's no longer actually um, out there at the church, but he's still in Missoula, and we're really good friends. And oh, cool. I think that you know, he's somebody. I think that's been a part of my life for so long that there's not many people that know me as well as he does. That's cool. You know, you can't think of I, my kid and I. Uh, my youngest kid and I drove to Oregon right after Christmas to duck hunt with my brother out out in central Oregon for a couple of weeks. And we stopped in for the night in Bozeman, mm-hmm. got in a hotel. Flip on, what should be on the TV? No kidding. A river runs through it. No way. I'm not kidding. I'm not you kidding. can't even like make that <laughs> no, up. No, yeah, no, yeah, no. Yeah, it was yeah. on like Montana public TV. Yeah, yeah. Of course, like why? Of course they're showing river runs through it. But you can't think of like Montana outdoorsmen and, uh, uh, you know, religion or church without at referencing a river runs through it. And of course, I went to Dartmouth College and there's and that's where the author went and there's this little like collage of old black and white photos sure. of Dartmouth in the middle of that movie. So now that was, you know, and now that's my hometown is Missoula. Is that right? Where that's based. Yeah, the Blackfoot River yeah. is a place that, you know, I go it's one of my I hunt up there and I fish up there all the is time. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And it's right in my backyard. It's just incredible. That's breath that's just a breathtaking part of the world you live in i feel uh, i feel very lucky that's for sure did you you know um a lot of people have that kind of experience flatlanders like us minnesotans you know a lot of us go out west to go skiing or yeah. go out west to go hunting or whatever and we have this like oh when you are in those mountains or you see those mountain lakes there's really something spiritual about sure. that is it harder when you grow up around it do you do you think people take it for granted who are surrounded by it all the time i mean i think that's a good question i think that i mean myself personally i think that that's that's the place i feel closer to something that's bigger than me is that right and i don't i can't necessarily describe exactly what that is you know but it's uh um when i the bald marshall wilderness is my favorite place in the world and that's up to blackfoot the Mm -hmm. north fork of the Blackfoot comes out of the scapegoat, which is in like kind of the middle of the Bob Marshall. But that's, you know, that's my church, I would say, in some ways. Yeah, let's you hear know? that. Let's, let me hear about that. I mean, like, I think that? that, well, I I kind of, my father passed away um, when he was 45 years old and I was uh, 19, almost 20. Was that dramatic? Was it? Super tra- dramatic. Super dramatic for me. And he, he passed away from acute leukemia. Okay. So it was a year and a half before he passed away after getting diagnosed, but okay. had all of us convinced. My dad was a very glasses um, half full kind of guy. That he was going to beat it. He was going to beat it. And I was going to school in Seattle and he was like, don't come home. You know, yeah. I'm going to beat this thing. Don't change your life for me. You know, everything's going to be fine. And then I get a call from my mom and, and she's like, you need to get home now. And I drove, you know, whatever it is, 500 plus miles and got home and Sat down next to him. Uh, I haven't told this story for a while. I sat down next to him. And uh, he's got, you know, he's, we're about the same size. He probably, I'm, I'm, I'm like 230 right now, 220. And uh, he was at his biggest, like 250. He probably weighed 150 pounds, like soaking wet at that point. And he's in this, like, you know, whatever, hospital gown. And he's got a mask on his face. And I sit down next to him. And he hits me as hard as he can with his elbow and kind of looks at me. And I was like... Glad you made it home and was like, go take a shower. And he passed away when I was in the shower. No, come on. 
So the ability to be able to see him, you know, before he passed away and to have that, uh, that experience with him before he passed away, like, like I I count my lucky stars for that and who knows why that happened, you know, and whatever. And so the ability to do that. And so was it traumatic? Absolutely. And at that time in my life, you know, um, you know, as a, as a young male, and I mean, I guess I'm speaking from my own experience only, but I kind of went off the rails for a little bit, mm. you know, and I think religion at that point to me, like organized religion, I was like, man, like this guy was 45 years old in the prime of his life. You know, he was doing all these good things for society, great father, like why take him, you know, yeah. and like why, you know, and, and, and so that was really hard for me. I think that, so really walked away, I think from the church at that point. But I will tell you that like, and this is kind of where it, it comes from is, is that when I'm out in the woods, like fishing or like he's always around the next corner of the river or he's over the next ridge when I'm hunting or like when I'm duck hunting, I feel like, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's weird. I hunt a lot of the same places that we hunted together that he's just going to pop up at some point, you know, and like, and it wow. obviously doesn't happen, but I feel his presence. Interesting. And, um, and so I think that's partly, you know, I think the woods and waters provide that for me, but even without like that real significance presence that I feel with my dad, like it feels like there's something bigger when I'm out there, you know, and I don't know if these landscapes are pretty iconic. And so to me, I mean, you goes back to the question, do you, you know, you think people take it for granted? I definitely don't. And like, it yeah. just like, that's my experience is when I'm out in the woods, I just, I, I, I feel there's something else. And again, I don't know, I can't describe what yeah, that like, is. Yeah, like, do you, ref- do you go that next layer deeper and ask that almost theological question? Like, if I feel his presence, does that mean he exists in some, still, like, does your dad, my dad, <laughs> two years ago today, uh, my mom called me and said, you need to get over to my oh, to their house. And and my dad had collapsed on the floor. The paramedics showed up. It was not only Valentine's Day, it was also Ash Wednesday that year. One of the paramedics had ashes on his forehead. My dad went to the hospital, died two days later. Wow. Two, you know, two days from now, two years ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm... In that same, it's a lot more recent for me. And my dad was older. I don't feel like, you know, he lived to be 76 and did not take great care of himself. And Mm -hmm. so there were, none of it came as a huge surprise. But, you know, I think those of us who are looking for meaning outside of organized religion. Yeah. I wonder sometimes that the one thing that organized religion forces you to do is take that, ask that next question of like, well, sure. where are those people sure. that went on before us? Or how are we connected to them? Is there some bigger force guiding us? Um, and when you extricate yourself from that, where there are people paid to ask those questions or yeah, whatever, yeah. Um, I sometimes struggle to, I mean, I, I want to enjoy the experience of being outdoors Mm -hmm. but i sometimes miss the and i guess what one of the things i'm pressing for in this podcast is trying to ask those questions and see if people can give me insight like what am i missing you know about it um i've seen you give a couple stump speeches i mean i've watched some video of you being i i don't think i'd ever seen you without a hat on until your congressional testimony could you even and then i thought hey 
bro has the same haircut as me. I like it. Dude, like, I, like the glare off of that dome. I was like, man, I might have to put on some like, like powder it, powder or something because like you can hardly even like look at it. it looks like I have a feeling that in Congress they don't spend a whole lot of time thinking like, what's what's the lighting we're gonna put in the in the committee rooms that's right. gonna make the people that testify look a little look more good. normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but. It seems like in your natural element, you're standing up. Um, you know, you're standing up on a table in a brewery, yeah. surrounded by a congregation. Sure. See what I'm getting at? I do. And you're preaching. Yeah, absolutely. This is what I see you doing, and absolutely. you are evangelizing for a cause that I take it. It's more than just you're. You're not just raising. I, I take it from you when I see you do it. And I've gone to a lot of conservation events, gone to a lot of banquets, heard a lot yeah. of people try to raise money. And there's a lot of speeches of guys who've been around a long time and whatever. But you, ha you bring a, a certain amount of passion, which I think um, that's I attribute a lot of the growth of your organization, both in this state, in Minnesota, and across the country, to that, to your passion. How do you... So all that to ask, like, vocation calling even you know in quotes ministry like do you feel like what you're doing has a little bit higher purpose that it's a calling for you and if so how does how do you like how do you think about that i mean i guess i don't i don't necessarily you know I don't necessarily think I was put on this earth to like you know to like to be that guy standing on the table. Really, um, I think that uh, you know my mom and dad were involved in conservation for you know a long time and you know and as I was growing up and I I didn't it was like osmosis you know like like kind of seeped into me versus me being like seeking it out and like really wanting to know more about it and then you know again my fa father passed away and then I was kind of in this kind of weird spot and. Um, this is like a, like a kind of a significant moment. Uh, late at night, like two o'clock in the morning, you know, I've been out crowding with the buddies and I'm going home. We lived a little bit outside of town and going home to where I grew up. And this mountain lion runs across the road um, in front of me and it stops, which is crazy that it stopped. It should have just kept on running. And then I stopped the car and then it slowly moves across the road again in front of me. And like that point is when I remember like I wanted to get involved in conservation. No and, kidding. And so, you know, you know how apropos was that mountain lion coming across and yeah. and i feel i mean i don't necessarily feel like i was put here to do what i'm doing or maybe that's like this whole line of events that led me to do this but now it is that calling for me and i feel it deep in my bones and i feel like there's this like chip on my shoulder that you know my dad was involved in conservation he was the first lawyer for the elk foundation did a bunch of conservation easements that like it's like I feel this purpose that I have to like carry on that legacy, you know, and like, is that to, you know, make him proud or is that to, you know, like, like the ideals that he had and that he was trying to um, instill in this world? Is it, you know, do I feel part of that is like a chip on the shoulder? Absolutely. But mm -hmm. then I, I think as I've gotten more, you know, I've been in this kind of field for about 20 years now and, you know, I, the people, you know, I think that, the people that I meet in like in the um, all across the country in the different landscapes, you know, growing up in Montana, I'm, I'm, there's a Steinbeck quote like I'm in love with Montana, and for other states, I have admiration. Oh, good. But with Montana, it's love, and it's hard to describe love when you're in it. Like that's Montana for me. But as I go across the country, 
and I see other landscapes. I mean, the prairie, you know, I, didn't gr I grew up in the mountains. When I see the prairie, you know, it's just like, I thought it was all dull. And, you know, then you get there in the spring and there's, you know, uh, in a 10 by 10, there's more diversity in that 10 by 10 than all, the whole state of Montana. And like that just blew my mind. And like these prairie lilies that are like three feet tall and just gorgeous. And so that ability to kind of see other parts, but I think it's the people that really drive me right now. And like right? really, yeah. I think I, people, and this is maybe like a religious kind of piece. People are, 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 they want like something to be connected to. Yeah. And so when I'm able to connect them, you know, to, and, and educate them about public lands and kind of this role that all of us are playing now that we're just carrying on, you know, kind of the legacy that came before us. And then we're hopefully passing it on to those so that they can do some of the same things we're doing today. When I educate them kind of about that and see that inner fire with them, man, like that, that's what drives me. And I think it's so, you know, I have pictures of my father behind me at work. I have pictures of, uh, Jim Range, who is another big mentor in my life, uh, who's now passed away, sitting behind me. So they're always kind of behind my shoulder a little bit. And I mm. do that on purpose in some ways. Um, and and so is it this, you know, is it how, I mean, if I really thought deep about it and thought about, you know, when I told you earlier, like why, you know, why did, why was my father taken from me when I was 19 or 20 years old and he was 45 and like, maybe that's like, it had to, you know, that, that had to happen to set me on the path that I'm on now. And is that, is that happen circumstance or is that, you know, something that's done on purpose? I don't necessarily know, but I will tell you, um, you know, and I was texting with my, my mom, you know, wish me a happy uh, Valentine's day this morning, um, which she got to me before I got to my wife, which is totally <laughs> not great. Um, but, uh, like, you know, I'm still connected to her. She's still involved in conservation. Mm. And and then it's, again, like, this, this, this deep connection and for people I've met across and for my father that drives me every single day. Wow. And I don't, I really, Tony, I don't, I don't know what else I'd be doing. Yeah. You know, like, I, like, people are like, oh, man, you're like, you get up and like, you can sell stuff and like, you could be doing anything. You'd be making so much money. And I'm like, I don't think so. Like, I don't, yeah. like, people are like, you should run for office. And I'm like, I care about conservation, like pretty much solely. And like to do any of those other things, you kind of have to care about those things or like, you know, somehow yeah. change your mentality. And I, you know. You, I, think, we, I think there are those guys who could go out there and sell whatever. They just sell sure, widgets or that's whatever. That's just not me. They're just salespeople. I mean, we, we talked earlier, like what you see is what you get from yeah, me. And yeah, so that yeah. passion isn't like, I like, okay, now I got to get in front of this crowd and get all fired up. Like right. that passion is like who I am. And so... That to me, um, I couldn't do anything else, and so I feel very lucky. I mean, maybe it's not, you know, you know, my I've been at BHA for seven years, and it's been an amazing ride, and I am having the best time of my life. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say I'm going to be here for the rest of my life, right? You know, I might do something else, but it will always be involved in conservation. Like yeah. I don't see I can do anything else, and so as far as that calling that you're talking about, definitely there, right? How, how do you how do you maintain? optimism you say your dad was a glass half full yeah. kind of guy even to the point of yeah. maybe not being yeah. realistic sometimes <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. um americans are joining less voluntary organizations yeah. and there's i don't know if you know this very famous uh, book called bowling alone by uh harvard i've not read it but i've definitely you, heard about you know it it's referenced it. yeah yeah it's referenced a lot probably in your industry because yeah. it's it's why conservation organizations are struggling we just had the 
you know, like the, the, the legacy waterfowler organization in Minnesota closed this fall, right wow. in the middle of duck season. It oh, just that's shut apropos, down. isn't that? This is crazy. It shut down. Yeah. Uh, and it's all these old timers saying we can't, just can't get the young people to join. And, but it's a, it's a, like, there's, you know, my, my grandpa was in Rotary and the Lions Club and, and I'm in none of those kind of things. I don't do those, yeah. you know, Chamber of Commerce and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you're swimming upstream, I'm saying, against, in an American culture where, People are, especially younger people, are less apt to join voluntary organizations. Sure. You're swimming upstream. And does that get you down? Does that motivate you? Um, I mean, you're, as you said last night, it's got to be the fastest growing conservation organization in the country, BHA, if not yeah. the world, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't look at it as like, uh, like swimming upstream necessarily. I, I feel like... And nothing against any of, the, any of the organizations or anybody that listens yeah. to this, the volunteers. But, you know, we've got this rocket ship and this, like, fire in the belly right now. And whether that starts with me or, like, I mean, I think it probably does start with me. But it definitely, I mean, the people that we're attracting have that fire in the belly or they get turned on, you know, about what we're doing. And so, you know, not only have we gone from 1,000 members to 40,000 members in seven years, but our demographics, 70% of our members are 45 and younger. Nobody else has that. That crowd that you witnessed last night, yeah. like, I mean, the, and then two years ago, it's the same crowd. No, it's I just, feel like an old man when I go to BHA events. <laughs> Seriously. Well, and I'm, I turned I'm 45 this year, so I'm going to be like, you know, I'm yeah. barely still in the 45 <laughs> and younger. I'll probably do next year, it's going to be 46 and younger, yeah, right. um, or maybe 50 and younger. But, uh, you know, like swimming upstream, we're just, like people talk about, you know, these younger generations, not as joiners, as you just described, and people are joining us in droves because we're speaking to them, you know, instead what of is it? them. What is it? What's the secret sauce? Like... It's surprising to me, I guess. I was thinking about this this morning in, in preparation of talking to you. It's surprising to me that public lands would be the thing that would turn the key. Because the, the other, the, the, the conservation organizations that preceded you, yeah. most of them dealt with a species. Sure. Right? Oh, we're going to get all the guys who are passionate about duck hunting. We'll all get together and yeah. try to have more habitat for ducks. Yeah. And you're not, your organization is not like that. I don't think. I, is I, it the public land thing? I guess public. I mean, here I would it? say. Well, I'd answer that question first, I think, and then go back to kind of maybe why I think we're successful is that that I'm not sure. I think we're much more generalist than like like we, you know like there's people that belong to Ducks Unlimited and the Elk Foundation and Pheasants Forever. Yeah. Right? yeah now, right. You can, and I think you should belong to all those organizations, by the way. Yeah. And, and there's other statistics that show that the joiners are joiners of lots I'm, of I'm places. one of those guys. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, I saw right. the back of your truck when we were looking oh. earlier at that video, but like I didn't see a BHA sticker on there yet. So maybe, oh, yeah, I, there's, maybe I missed it. No, there's a BHA. Okay, good. All right, all right. B, there's gonna... BHA, Rough Grouse, <laughs> National Wild Turkey Federation, Pheasants Forever, and Ducks Unlimited. Those are the five. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, BHA's on there. Thank you. I was a yeah, little, little right, chest. That was right. not uh, a dig. <laughs> um, but uh, so I think there's like this, like, we all do different things, you know, and like I think we pick huckleberries, we pick mushrooms, we go mountain biking, we go backcountry skiing, we hunt, we fish, like all those things are happening on public lands. And yeah. so I think people in general, they may not know that they were using public lands. That's something I find out about all the time is like, man, before I, you know, learned about BHA, I really didn't know what public lands were, but then I was utilizing them all the time, but didn't know what they were. Mm -hmm. So I think they're very universal. And so in a place when I think, um, you know, we've kind of 
bifurcated ourselves into like these niches. Like people are looking for something that's a little bit more general in some ways. I think at least people come to us. Yeah, like there's a. The, I'm wondering if the millennials who make up like the critical mass of BHA yeah. are they probably more likely to. Uh, yeah, they go on an elk hunt once a year, but they also forage for mushrooms, oh, yeah. and they're shed hunters, Absolutely. and they turkey hunt in the spring. Absolutely. So they're not just a no, passionate They're not about... a single species, and okay. I think, you okay. know, I mean, I, if I had to pick one thing that I can only do for the rest of my life, it'd probably be duck hunting, mm-hmm. and it's because of the dog work and, like, yeah. the marsh waking up in the morning, and then the ability to do it, like, in so many different landscapes. Um, but... I love doing it all, right? And so I think that's part of the organization of the success is the general kind of like public lands in general and waters. But I would say, you know, I, there's like three key factors. And I would, you know, the, the um, putting fun back into kind of like a conservation events, you know, um, going to a meeting in Robert's Rules of Orders and stuff, like it's super old school. And while it serves a purpose, if you are 20 to 40 something, you go to that meeting and it's all super dry, like you're not going to show up probably again. Um, the pint nights that we do, the storytelling events that we do, the wild game cook-offs that we do, those are all really fun, interactive events. And yeah. so there's an experience, I would say. I think, you know, like millennials in particular, they're always taking pictures and selfies of where they were. Like, it's like, and they got to show where they were. Well, that's an experience, right? Yeah. Like, that's what we're providing as an experience. I think that's a piece. Um, social media, we dominate. We're really good at yeah. it. I mean, I'm, again, I turned 45 this year. There's two other people older than me on staff at 31. Everybody else is younger. And so we know how to use social media. Our people know how to use social media. And so we just get the message out super quick. So that's the second one. The third one, which I think is the most important, is that there's like this, we're we're giving them an opportunity to utilize their voice. And that can't be understated. That, you know, I think that people are, we're living in this world that, we, people think their voice doesn't matter anymore and they're getting, you know, kind of it's, uh, there's all these big things happening at a political level that they're like, man, I, I'd like to get involved, but like, my voice doesn't count. Yeah. And when you give them an ability to get involved and when you get a win, which is far and few between, but when you get that win and you celebrate that win, they're like, they were part of it and they definitely were part of it, right? And I think the old school way of doing business is not to utilize kind of membership for grassroots activities. That's done by professional staff, and that's done behind closed doors in Washington, D.C., which I've been in those rooms, and they're very important meetings. But we're combining kind of that old school with the, like, let's engage the masses and, like, let them, give them a voice and let them know that it counts. And so when they come to, when they go to, you know, a fundraiser and they're able to talk to a senator or when they make a phone call or when they send an email, they're part of, like, something... And that makes them, I think, have this, like, they feel like they're part of something bigger. And mm-hmm. I think people are starving for it. You know, I think, <laughs> like, social media in particular, right, what I said we dominate at it, it's like this place to communicate, which is great. But you're not having conversations anymore, you know? Right. And if you are, it's like, oh, I feel this and I feel this. It's and a lot it's of like, posturing. Yeah, a lot of yeah. posturing. When yeah. you're at an event with us, yeah, like, real conversations are happening, you know? And, and, and about you know, why are we doing these things? And, you know, like, okay, and then, like, the food aspect is absolutely huge. And so, like, we're, we're building a community, I would say, um, that goes both ways. Do you think, th- this is one of the things that's, like, kind of become my, uh, uh, as I turned 50 and had to recalibrate my life um, as my, you know, whole probably a 30-year career in the church was coming to a close, and I was finding much more meaning in, in the outdoors, but I was also looking around at people younger than me and 
it's not just the Rotary and the Lions Club that's dying. It's, you know, it's organized religion is dying like before, before our eyes. And you're, you talk about people wanting connection. I really think that also people want connection to something bigger. They want connection to other people, which sure. a church used to offer. I mean, when you grew up, yeah, you absolutely. know, your parents probably sat in the narthex drinking coffee for half an hour and you were t- like, come on, I want to go home. Totally. Like all of us grew up that in that way. Um, or we were, I was also lots of shenanigans with other kids my age. While the parents were drinking <laughs> coffee. Yeah, totally. They were distracted. Yeah. I do. I did. I did bring my hamster one time to <laughs> church and then it got loose and we never did find it again. So I figured that hamster must have lived for years. Years. I'm sure, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Walls of the church. But yeah, we did some of that too. Um, Sorry to distract. No, no, it's good. And, and. I mean, this is, I don't want to make this too much of a leading question because I think I know the answer and I think you agree with me probably, but I do think that there is a desire in people's lives to craft some kind of bigger meaning. Where do I fit in the, in the bigger scheme of things? Whether or not you think there is a, a, a deity or not, sure. that's kind of irrelevant to this of saying, but I'm part of a bigger fabric. And... I think when people discover, and I'm kind of an adult, my, my dad did not hunt or fish. Like this is, I'm a, I'm an adult convert to outdoors life. You have that life. disease. Yeah. Yeah. Adult onset hunter, whatever. Yeah. Um, I think people are, are starting to find meaning out there, outdoors, in the wilderness, in these, in these pursuits. And then, of course, you already talked about the food, but like knowing where your meat comes from, figuring out how to butcher an animal. It, it is, uh, I don't know about you, but it's been amazing to me to watch uh, my 15-year-old son figure out how to butcher a deer, mm-hmm. a white-tailed deer. And me just standing there being like, he watches me do one. And I just learned it like five years ago. Yeah. And then stand back and watch him do it. It's an incredible thing. And yeah. I, know, I think this is, it's, fu- it's funny how meaningful that is to people to learn how to butcher an animal. Yeah. Because um, everything's so, given to us, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, like, I mean, a lot of people think their fish comes from a grocery store, that meat comes from a grocery store, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, that started someplace, right? And they have zero connection with their food. When you're butchering your own animal, when you kill your own animal out in the woods, you know exactly where it came from. That's right. And so, like, I think there's, a, there's like, that connection for sure. Besides, like, yeah. the good food and the healthiness of that, like, I think. Yeah, you've got to be seen in your congregation, yeah. in your 40,000-member congregation. Yeah. You've got to see some of that connection to just bigger things that are happening. I mean, there's obviously people in your organization are concerned about climate change. Yeah. And they're concerned about, um, you know, the public, keeping public lands public. Yeah. They're concerned about this, uh, what's it, the zero, what's it called? The zero, no, no net gain? No net gain of like public lands here in Minnesota. It's not, it's not it's just is it proposed. Is it just in Minnesota? No, or it's being are there other, other pushes? Places. Yeah, that's Absolutely. what I thought. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you all or all of us who are BHA members push back hard and Utah wasn't there a big push against um, it, they were going to put it back to all the states? Well, Congressman Chaffetz, who was from Utah, tried to sell 3 million acres. And he decided not to do that after a week because it was so <laughs> bad. And that's the only time I've ever seen a politician pull a bill back ever. That fast. Let alone, no, yeah, ever, ever. Let alone in a week. Um, but no, I, I think going back to like this inner kind of meaning, though, yeah. is like, I think one thing we really kind of haven't talked about yet is like this solace to like that you feel in the woods, you know? And... 
like that is that is that that deeper meaning or like when things get quieter you know and like who you are and like what you learn about yourself in that quiet space and how that it makes me a better man mm-hmm. you know like yeah. in this life when and I'm, you know, on my cell phone all the time and I'm traveling here and I'm traveling there and yeah. life seems crazy. And I'm sure I'm a little grumpier with my kids and a little grumpier with my wife. And then I'll get out and, you know, maybe it's only for an hour to go cross country skiing or something or go for a hike with a dog. When I do that and I come back, I'm a much better person. And, and so that ability to kind of let everything go away for a little bit and like, you know, um, not be distracted, but be present. Yeah. I think is a super important piece. And so are you finding something inside of yourself at that point? I would say absolutely yes. Wow. And I think for me, and I think many others, like you start talking about that and they're like, oh yeah, I've, I've felt that, you know? And so again, like I think, are they searching for it? Yes. And when they do find it, they want more of it. Do you, I've, I've heard people, um, like people who work for Pheasants Forever, which is located here in the Twin Cities, and yeah. like, oh, but I never get to hunt for pheasants anymore because I work for pheasant forever. Yeah. I'm too busy. Yeah. I'm like that's tragic. Do yeah. you, <laughs> do you still get out? Do you get to get out? Oh, I get out. I get out. I'm um, sure you get a million invitations. If I didn't have kids and a wife, like I would, every time more. I travel, I would like be, spend two or three days on the back end of the front end. Yeah. Now that said, I got to go to the boundary waters this year, you know, yeah. on a work trip. That was your second trip to the boundary second waters. trip i went went there two years before that when dave and amy freeman were doing the yeah you're broke. in the wilderness yeah. like you want to talk about like solace and de, you know kind of toxin from uh life that'd, that'd be a pretty rad one um though they were connected kind of digitally it. because they had to like had responsibilities you know like to, with the classrooms and stuff which yes is kind part of, of funding their yeah their year out there and yeah. partly of educating about the, yeah. the boundary waters right. as well but do i get out i don't get out enough i yeah. don't and um, I, my kids now, the, they're 11 and 8. I've called them enablers now, right? It's like they help me get out. And so uh, this fall and last fall, like trying to take one out on Saturday and one out on Sunday when I'm home. Oh, and, that's awesome. And that way I get that, you know, kind of one-on-one time with them. But selfishly, it also gets me out two days on the weekend. And, um, and my wife, you know, who understands what this means to me and how important it is to me, both um, I think uh, – you know, for my just well-being, but also for kind of my line of work, you know, like I, yeah. like I can't be that guy just sitting behind the computer. She gets all that, but you know, I travel a lot and like, she doesn't want me to be gone. She wants to be with me on the weekends yeah. and wants me to be around the kids. And so this is a way for us to kind of all have our cake and eat it too. Um, and you know, so I get out, you know, we're, we're today is the final day to put in for a permit on the Smith river, which is a five day float in Montana. It's the only permitted river in Montana. And I've done that trip twice with my family. Oh, that's um, cool. And, and, so, and that's one of the things that they talk about like all the time. So do I get out? Yes. But do I get out enough? No. Yeah, but who does? Well, who does? And that's, that's the, you know. and, and would I be, and you know, I guess, you know, with what we were talking about earlier about this calling, if I just got to go hunt and fish every day and like, I, I wonder if I would get bored with that. And that sounds really weird, but because Again, is there that inner thing that I'm like, no, we got to be something bigger than that, right? Like, there's yeah. got to be, like, yeah. you got to be organizing. You got to be, like, play a part of this, be a cog in that wheel that's been going on for 130 years or maybe more in this country. Do your part right now, right? Like, you have to do that. And I, so I think yeah. as much as, like, being, you know, quote, unquote, retired or um, being able to be on the field every single day, I think there's something that I, that I would um, I would get bored of that, too. Yeah, I mean, my brother a couple years ago shot – 110 ducks 
in a season. <laughs> he was like, not only is he like, I'm giving away meat faster, like my friends don't want any more duck, right. you know, but he also thought maybe it, maybe that's a little bit of an overkill. Now, see, I used to, we have a hundred day season in Montana. Okay. Um, and so I always, like, I've always wanted to get a hundred ducks, like a duck a day. Yeah. Closest I've gotten is 85. That's pretty and good, man. That's was, a lot of ducks. That was pre-kids, but you know, I yeah. was going out before work for a couple hours then going to work um, at lunch, you know, my work was close enough to a river so I could go walk at lunch. And so I was hunting yeah. like every day. Now, the, pretty much every day, but again, like an hour here, an hour there. There wasn't like not necessarily these long ones, but 100, what'd you say, 110? 110 in a year. <laughs> Either he's a really be much better shot than I am or he was like in better spots for ducks. He's got a but, great couple spots okay. that are just money. That's yeah. good. Um, what did you think of the boundary waters it, you're i know you were on a media trip and yeah. it was kind of a bigger group but yeah. th that's a place that's super special to me and um i took my kid for the first time last summer my youngest and wrote about it for the minneapolis paper wrote a series of articles about it he and i are going back we did the voyager highway but we didn't do the grand portage mm -hmm. the nine mile yeah, nine yeah. and a half mile portage from Pigeon Falls out to the Lake Superior. So we're going to go up this in, on June 1st and complete it this year. Nice. Do the nine Good for you. Portage, Good for you. Which I'm like, can my back handle it? My knees handle <laughs> That's it? why you got him along. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell me your impressions of, the, of that place. I, know, I mean, what's amazing as, as a Minnesotan is that then you would go and advocate for that place yeah. in, in a very powerful room in Washington, D.C. Yeah, you know, I think... We we hit the we hit it perfect. We hit it the first week of October. Mm -hmm. Weather was absolutely bugs awesome. Bugs are gone. No bugs. Yeah. It snowed after we got out of there. It snowed like you know, two or three days later and just oh. dumped in there. And yeah. there was like people being evacuated. I think even out of there. And so we hit it absolutely perfect. Um, what I mean, that landscape is so different than anything I've ever been around. Yeah. And. You know, the familiar parts were like when we get to a portage and then when I put stuff on our back and then go over that portage and then get into the water again. I didn't grow up around a canoe. And so it's just, it's magical. And, yeah. like, and I, you know, I didn't say this last night and I didn't say this when I was out in Congress, but I've been thinking about it a lot. It's like, it's like Minnesota's Yellowstone, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like this, such an iconic landscape that people way before me recognize, you know, Roosevelt, you know, set aside the Superior National Forest in 1909. That's kind of the first like ideas of let's protect this place. And that was at that point from timber barons. And, and so I, I'm, and I'm not the, the I'm, I'm a Johnny come lately to this party, right? That I recognize it. But to me, it was the, the, oh man, the ease, right? Like, you know, a lot of wilderness trips that I have are like really arduous, you know? And like, okay. you go up these like steep, the first three miles to get to the ridge before you get in the wilderness is like steep and hard. And it's pretty hard when you're in there, but like the ease, I think, of the Boundary Waters and not that they're, you know, if weather comes in or whatever, it could be dicey. But I think the ease and then the, the connection to water, which is just calming in itself and the dynamic of being on water and um, the stillness. I mean, it, you know, it was hardly even windy while we were in there, you know, and so it was just like this magical place. And so, you know, I'm not going to say life-changing. I think that gets overused. Um, but I will say that I'm, you know, I'm cut back to that Steinbeck quote. I have a ton of admiration for the Boundary Waters, and I see what a unique landscape that is, and what a you know national treasure I would say that is. And so that's you know, 
you know, I get, I get paid to do this work, but now it's like part of who I am. And, and so that trip in particular, like it was for me, um, it was eye opening and, um, and I want to go back now and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get my kids there. Yeah. Come on, man. I'll go with you anytime. Well, I would love that. And like, it's amazing. And there is something about a canoe. I mean, I know you grew up on rivers and probably in kayaks and rafts and stuff like that. Mostly. Yeah. But there, and, and those are awesome, but there is something just different about a canoe. You really are. It's, it's funny. You're like in the water. Um, and it's, it feels precarious. (laughs) When you're getting in, especially that for me, canoe, yeah, yeah, you know, for any of us, and you're pulling off a forty-pound Duluth pack and putting it in there, and I'm always up there with one of my one or both of my dogs mm-hmm. in the canoe, which is a whole other situation. So yeah. then there's like keeping them calm, and then you got a f- adolescent in the front, and this is the funny thing: if you bring your kids, it's like, come on, paddle. Well, uh, they just, you know, they lose focus, which well, is kind of cool though, because like how often. How often are they distracted by what's around them? Yeah. Right? That's right. Versus like distracted by what's in front of their face, you know? And so like for them so to be true. like, oh yeah, I got to, I'm sorry, I lost myself, you know? Like, cause I'm just like enamored or like, you know, blown away by this place. Which and I there's, you cool. know, there's, they're, they're, they're putting cell towers up the Gunflint uh, trail now. And yeah. there's talk about trying, you know, some people want the whole boundary waters to be covered by cell service for safety. Sure. And I'm like, well, there's so little risk. In life now, well, we, we, we have mitigated risk out of almost everything we do. Right. And to go to the boundary, even today, dude, I was at the gym today. There's a guy in the hot tub with watching video on his phone. And I said to him, like, bro, can there be any place with no phone? Yeah. There are guys walking around naked. Yeah, yeah. And you're sitting there. You can't yeah. be five minutes in the hot tub without a phone? Yeah. Good Lord. Right. So to be up there, phoneless, and we don't even, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit old school in the, in the Boundary Waters. Like, we drink out of the lake. We don't bring a filter. Never gotten sick. Nobody I've been with has ever gotten sick. You yeah. know, you don't get Giardi if you get out in the middle of the lake and yeah, yeah. the water. We don't bring a phone or a sat phone or a in-reach or anything like that. Yeah. And we're, we're maps. We're just using paper maps, you know, yeah. old school maps. Yeah, I got one of the, uh, from the Paragas store, I got one of the ones, it's like a bandana. Oh, yeah. That yeah. is cool, dude. Yeah. What a good idea, <laughs> because it can get wet. Right. You know? And then yeah. it like, and that's actually like when it's windy out, too. I think about like pulling out a map. And oh, it's windy, I know. It's like, Whoa, everywhere. You get that thing wet, and you put it there, and it's got a little weight to it, and so the wind isn't really going to mess around with it. Yeah. So I have that hanging up in my office. That's but I thought awesome. That was a really, like that idea, I don't know who came up with that idea to put yeah. that, but it's smart. Yeah, I've got the thing on the lanyard around my neck, the plastic thing, and you're okay. always refolding it for the whatever Perfect lake spot. you're on you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, that yeah. day. But it's such a special place. And I mean, I speak for thousands upon thousands of Minnesotans who say thank you for going to Congress and speaking up for the Boundary Waters. It was, it was my pleasure, man. And I, a deep honor. And you know, I said this last night, but I don't get nervous very often when I get up in front of people. Um, and I was nervous. And yeah. I, I was more nervous about like screwing up for the people you just described, you know, and, uh, um, you know, the more, I think that's, again, you know, you, you, it goes back to like what drives me. It's like the people that I'm meeting, right. And like in these places that they're so connected to, and I have my own places that I have that same connection to, and now have part of that connection to this landscape, but to be able to, you know, what an honor to represent them, you know, in this 
place where you couldn't be farther from the Boundary Waters. Yeah, we on this podcast we refer to him as Saint Sigurd. So you're in in the <laughs> in the in the line of uh, many other amazing people who've spoken up for that. My prose is not yeah. as good as his, and oh, so I, and so I utilize his all the time, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I think no, the that campfire one, you know, like where God, I'm not going to get it right, but I used it in the testimony. Like where he blows on, like you know, like yeah. when these embers yeah. in the campfire, yeah. and yeah. those memories come to life again. You know, <laughs> and like crazy, and, yeah. and like how I mean, like when you sit around a campfire, you're connected to every single person, pretty much that's been around a campfire before, right? Like yeah. if you've not sat about a, around a campfire and you're listening to this, go out in your backyard right now and go start a fire. And, well, like, and I know you sh- you sh- you shot your first squirrel, yeah. in the Boundary Waters, and he has a he has a there's a story I'll have to look I'll figure out where it is and I'll I'll email it to you which book it's in, but he has a little chapter about he's on a um on a portage between lakes and he puts his canoe down and he leans up against a tree and he sees a squirrel and he pulls out his 22 and he's going to shoot the squirrel and then he doesn't he does he just wants to watch the squirrel sure run around and it's squawking at him and yelling at him and See, I was more like I kept on getting squawked at, and I was like, all right, <laughs> I will shoot you, and then shot this squirrel. I was like, okay, now what? Well, lucky for you, then you handed it over to like an a award-winning chef. chef. Yeah, you know. I mean, if, <laughs> if, if you're going to shoot a squirrel, it was the right opportunity. <laughs> if you're going to go to the Boundary Waters, bring a chef. <laughs> That's right. Right? But he, uh, no, I think what's cool, too, about learning that squirrels is something, I mean, I kind of intuitively knew, you know, they have these festivals down the south with like squirrel hunting festivals. Yeah. I was kind of like, right. That's kind of weird. Yeah. But now, um, after shooting that one squirrel, and uh, it's something I can do with my kids. Yes. You know? And, like, I can go. Right. Like, there's not a big production. Like, you're just like, oh, we're going to go drive in the woods and go out and walk and bring guns. And yeah. now I'm also finding is that when I'm big game hunting, somehow I'm not looking at squirrels the same way. Because when I'm squirrel hunting, they know it. And they, like, shut up and they go take off. When I'm elk hunting, right. they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, be quiet. I'm over here. Be, no, I stop know. it. Stop do it. it. You know? And it's like. I'll go out squirrel hunting. And you cannot find a squirrel. Yeah. And a month later, I'll be sitting in a deer stand on the same land. Yeah. Squirrels everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, I wonder what this 30 out 6 would do to a squirrel. <laughs> it would not be pretty. I think that's like, yeah. it's got to be something with our body language and our eyes. Like, they, they you know, obviously know they're living out in the woods yeah. and they have right. to make a living on what's going to kill them and what's not. And yeah. like, and yeah. so it's somehow how we look at them and they understand it. That's the only thing I can get. It, it, the, uh, one other thing I love about squirrel hunting is it's my my youngest kid is 15 and for the last couple of years it's the one thing like when we're up on our land up north i feel comfortable saying yeah you can take the 22 mm-hmm. and you can go out on your own yeah and squirrel hunt i like i you know not that there's no danger with him sure. walking around with a firearm but okay last question yeah um you're 45 almost in a month your dad died when yeah. he was 45 yeah. i've known other guys who've hit that age when their father has died and yeah. it's been it's led to a lot of reflection mm-hmm. um introspection is that is it is that birthday approaches in a month does that weigh on you so that's a big deep breath um it's a big deep topic i think leading up to this is de- like the age of his death like I've gone through a couple like where I've got to work as hard as I can. I got to go, you know, have as much fun as I can. I got to go out and, you know, hunt as much as I can. And like, just like do it all and like burn the candle at, you know, not two ends, but like four ends. And that kind of went away a little bit when I had my kids. And then it came back like within like the last like year. 
and and so that's been interesting um and as i think you know i think after the holidays i was able to kind of like readjust again you know and be like all right like you're not gonna die like i think that's what was driving it and i really like you know you have these young kids and you cannot even talk about it that way that like oh i'm you know we got to do this because i'm not going to be around like they don't want to hear that and i shouldn't be saying that really partly because i think i say things a lot in my life that then eventually come true you know like that's partly i'm i and i learned that from my dad is like if you say things over and over again they will eventually happen right you that's speak it. them into being Actually, kind of, yeah. that's a great way to say yeah it. yeah so i think as i approach i'm almost feeling relief okay <laughs> you know Good. like that i got here and like now this milestone that has meant so much in my life that has like been driving me is like that pressure is no longer going to be there you know and that i can uh reevaluates the wrong word but like that um I can be more present. Uh, that's not even the right word. I, I don't know how exactly how to describe it, but I think it just there'll be some semblance of uh, you know it's not going to happen to you. Mm. Good. And that's I'm, I'm I'm hoping for that, and I kind of feel it, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm really hoping for that because I think that's like you know again that's just been hanging over my shoulder, you know. Yeah, and I, I can I don't and it's it's like you know, my sisters don't have it, you know, um, but I do and. And so I'm, 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 hopefully it disappears. And I don't think that'll stop the drive, you know? Like, like I deeply care about what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but having that thing hang around your shoulder, it's, it, hasn't, it hasn't been super healthy for me, I will say that. Yeah. Well, I hope you turn that corner. Thank you. And happy birthday early. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a big one. Yeah. Um, kind of, I guess. It was 50 big for you? 50 was, 50 was hit me like no other birthday I've ever had. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And my dad had just died. Yeah. Uh and yeah, it was it's been I've talked to my kids a lot about death. I've said to them, my kids are older than yours, yeah. two in college and and a freshman in high school, and I say to them to the point that they've told me to stop saying it. Yeah. I've said to them, if I die, I will die with no regrets because I have done every I went through a bad divorce and I got full custody of my kids. I had to fight for that and I did it because I believed my house was a healthier place for them to live. Yeah. And I said, you know, I said, I've made huge sacrifices. I don't regret any of them. And I've launched you into the world. And so if I die, know that I'm not going to die thinking, oh, there's so much more I could have done. Because yeah. I did the most important thing. Yeah which was launching you all into the world in in a healthy emotionally healthy place. See, we're still on the pad at my house. We haven't launched yet. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, I'm I mean, an 11-year-old yeah, and an 8-year-old. I wouldn't so, have like, said that when my kids were But I, I mean not even like eight. saying it what I'm trying to say is I think that that that's also like our deep responsibility. You want to do that. That's our deep responsibility as totally. fathers, right? And yeah. so like I think that's partly what's you know I've my dad traveled a lot, but I don't really remember him traveling because when he was home he was very present. Yeah. So I've really tried to do that with same kind of with my kids. But my sister was 10 when my father passed away, my younger oh. sister. And so just watching, like, she didn't have the same upbringing that I did. And now she's, you know, she's involved in conservation, which is awesome. She's an amazing woman. Um, but I want to be there for my kids. Like, I really, you know, I want to be able to launch them. You know, like, I feel like I, I'm going to be a little bit like you. Like, when, I, when they're both out of the house and I feel like they're on their way and, like, yeah. they're off that launch pad yeah. and they might not be, you know, going straight up, but, you know, they're, at least they're going someplace. Like, I think I will feel a lot of satisfaction in that. Yeah, I mean, I've said to them, I want to be at your, 
I want to be at your wedding. Absolutely. I, I want to yeah. hold my grandchildren, but yeah. but if I don't, I don't want you to spend. You know, it's different. Your dad died when you're when you know he was forty five, and maybe I, I just don't want my kids to feel like there's uh, I have unfinished business sure. because of. I, where can, I think at. that's a good thing to talk to them. I mean, I think. But they're like, Dad. Okay, we got it. <laughs> yeah, no. But so, which Stop means they, which, which means they've they've heard it though too, they've right? Heard which it. I, I think is heard it. yeah, yeah, which I think is cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I, I read the obituaries every day. I don't know if it's morbid. I'm just being realistic. <laughs> this thing does not last forever. It you doesn't. Know? It doesn't. And maybe it's one thing from your dad's younger death. It's like maybe you've been more like appreciative of every day you have. Kind of. I think it's, it goes back to what you were talking about just a second ago. I've kind of been like, this is all I'm going to have, and I better do as much as I can. Yeah. And like now I think it's going to be like, I might be able to enjoy it a little bit more. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, like so. not that I haven't enjoyed it. I mean, I've had amazing experiences um, both in the outdoors and with my family that I will, you know, you can't ever take away from me. Yeah. Um, but I think I was like trying to do as much as I could, and now it's going to be like, okay, now let's do more of that and like take time to kind of think about when you're in the middle of that and be like man this is pretty cool yeah awesome well thanks a million for coming oh, on oh man it's great having a conversation it. with you thank yeah, you so much very cool yes.